Erev Tov. There is an email that I received a while ago. It actually came as a message, not as an email, but it's one of, of I'm not exaggerating if I would say, hundreds of messages that are worded differently, but share the same idea, and which have really served as inspiration for what I hope to do here in our Expanding Horizons Shul. The message reads the following. I don't know how much you are aware of the Kehillah in, and I omitted the name. However, even by normal Jewish standards, it is prolific in that, unfortunately, it is well known for being a place where everybody knows everybody else's business, everyone judges others, and is not only archaic in its hashkafa, but militant in its lack of acceptance of those deviating from its party line. When I first read this message, I said, I don't know how that's a deviation from normal Jewish standards. That's pretty much every kila I've ever been a part of in my life. And many people who read this first paragraph will say, hey, maybe it's somebody from my community writing this message. Uh, I assure you, some of you, that this actually may be somebody from your community writing this message. Someone who's a very dear friend and who I appreciate greatly. He continued writing, the Shiviti learning forum has been more than just a breath of fresh air. It has been a lifesaver for a number of people who have always duly, duly accepted the words of the rabbinic clerics who we hold of so highly, without hesitation, deviation, or deliberation. I myself have struggled to accept some of the initial responses that you posted, as I had been conditioned by the community in the yeshiva system to the party line answers that were drummed into us from a young age. Baruch Hashem, having followed from a distance and having overcome these deeply ingrained natural rejections, I have a huge amount of respect and appreciation for your time and knowledge and approach to halakha in a manner which I have never seen delivered before. I'm not reading this to compliment myself, but for the next part. The state of the mind in the kila and among some of our friends and peers is so bad that I personally post questions on the forum on behalf of friends who are nervous to ask these questions publicly due to fear of being ridiculed by others. So this is a person who says, I belong to a community, a community which is normative in its narrow-mindedness and its inability to let others think or act differently than what the norms are that they have set. And it's not just norms that they have set through explanation, but it's rabbinic clerics who we hold of so highly without hesitation, deviation, or deliberation. These are people that we don't question, whether it's because we think that we cannot question them or because truly they don't allow themselves to be questioned. And though this person appreciated the forum that we're all a part of, they have friends, people they care about, who also are appreciating it, but feel afraid to post questions for fear of what their community might do to them in return. And then he continues and perhaps ends off with how proud members of the Shiviti family are struggling with the terrible stigma that this community creates for people who stray outside of their decision making. When I receive a message like this, anger is not the first thing that comes to mind. It's not anger as to how doing things the way we have always done them can somehow today be considered controversial. That's not what makes me upset. It's not a feeling of, wow, there's a personal attack. You know, I've heard some Sephardic guy in San Diego. What do you have to do with the United Kingdom? I've heard it too. By the way, it's a good question. Not one I'm going to answer right now. It's a good question. What hurts me is that there are people who are genuinely looking for a path to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that are genuinely on a search 
for finding a place in the Jewish world, in the Jewish text, in Jewish observance, that finally works for them. And how there are people that when they see others being inspired, others feeling like finally they may have found a connection, have no fear to throw cold water on them. To bully them onto a path that did not work for them, that was not good for them. And the reason why this resonates with me so much is because I myself was on such a journey not so long ago. I still am on a journey. But my journey began in a very similar place. And I figured it's our first time learning together. It's our first chance to sit down and explore. And I don't have the ability to host you in my home for coffee and tea and cookies and a meet and greet like I normally would when we're starting a new group. But I want to share some of myself personal myself and perhaps show you that this struggle is not yours alone but this struggle belongs to me too and it's the very reason why we do what we do why we teach what we teach and why when you asked me if I would be willing to do such a thing I wasn't happy to oblige was this is exactly what I live for and where some people have been thanking me thank you for considering making a class I'm thanking you for giving me the opportunity to learn Torah with you. That's something that, it's a zikhut, it's a merit that not everyone gives me. And I, I take that with immense honor and humility. This is not a lecture, this is a shi'ul, so if anybody at any point wants to unmute yourself and ask a question or say something, please know that you are more than welcome to do so. I grew up here in San Diego, California, to a family of religious Sephardic Israeli parents. My father's side is Yemenite, my mother's side is Moroccan, both Israeli. My father came to the United States to do his PhD uh, in electronic warfare, radar defense, uh, stuff that I don't really understand. I'm just the rabbi in the family. And my parents raised me in a very natural, organic Jewish home. We were observant, we kept to Amitzvot, we were involved in what others would call the regular world. I received a regular Jewish day school education in a Chafetz Chaim, that's a Litvish kind of uh, day school. I went to the local Chabad synagogue, that's what we have in our neighborhood. My parents were instrumental in the beginning that Chabad synagogue. And I was raised in a pretty what others might call a regular American Orthodox Jewish community. At a certain point in time, I had to decide where I was going to go for high school. San Diego had very limited options for post-elementary school, middle school education. And I had become very close friends with somebody who was a yeshiva student in Nair Israel in Baltimore. Nair Israel was a well-known yeshiva. It's been around since 1933. And after initially struggling with the idea of, am I going to leave home? Am I going to stay in San Diego? What about my friends? What about my community? What about my family? I'm 13 years old, going on 14. The distance from San Diego to Baltimore, where the yeshiva was, is a six-hour flight. It would mean coming home to see my mother and father three times a year, maybe four times a year if I was lucky. And I went there for an interview, and not even sure if the three pages, not the pim, pages, like, it's a daf and a half of Talmud that I had studied in my entire 8th grade. would be sufficient to even get me into a yeshiva where people had finished Masechtot before they even got there. 
And I went and I applied and I stayed for a Shabbat. And Baruch Hashem, I was accepted and my journey began. My journey of pursuing higher Torah learning began in Baltimore. I spent five years of my life there. I served my sentence. And in those five years, I was zocheh. I merited to learn a, a, an unbelievable amount of Torah compared to what I've studied before. But there was something about that experience that, that wasn't right for me. I'm sure that it's right for other people. But for me, it was a different kind of Judaism than one that I had grown up with. Yes, we had secular studies in the yeshiva. That was obligatory. It's the law of the country. But secular studies were not treated the same way Judaic studies were. And most definitely they were not treated the same way that my parents had raised me to treat and respect secular studies. The thought of having a career, of getting a job. You should know most graduates of the yeshiva have careers and jobs and go into the world. But the, the strength, the push, the emphasis was not on the side of the world that involved being engaged in society but about living in a Jewish community, living in a bubble, being involved only with your own kind of people. One of the straws that broke the camel's back for me was the attitude towards the State of Israel. I know when I was in the UK and I mentioned a line from Rabbi Yechia ben Arosh, who said that somebody who is not a Zionist is not Jewish, and I, I, I heard that I made some waves when I said that, and I'm not pushing this agenda on anybody right now. But I had grown up in a proudly Zionistic home, in a home where we had family members who fell for the founding of the State of Israel, a home in which my cousins and my, my family members all served proudly in the in Tzahal and the Israeli Defense Force. My parents, my father who was a high-ranking officer in the Israeli Navy, my mother who also served her time for the State of Israel. I grew up in a home where Yom HaTzma'ut, Yom Yerushalayim, Israeli songs that they probably don't sing in Israel anymore were in my blood. And then I came to Yeshiva, and I'll never forget that day. You might remember that day, but Ilan Ramon was the first Israeli astronaut in space. And Ilan Ramon had tragically uh, passed away, was, died in space. I'd just been in San Diego for a Shabbaton, and we were all crying. It was a really emotional time. And we all had this vision of, wow, Israel made it to them. Where, where else can Israel go? Israel made it to space. And we were crying. It was, it was a devastating loss for us as, as young people in San Diego. And I made it to Yeshiva. And in Yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva got up and spoke. He said, I know that many people here are shaken up about what happened to Ilan Ramon. And I quote, He said, Ilan Ramon was not a Jewish hero. He was an Israeli hero, but not a Jewish hero. And it's the first time in my life, hearing from somebody who I respected as a Talmud Chacham, that there is somehow a difference between Judaism and Israelis. And I'm certain that my juvenile understanding of the state of Israel and the challenges of the state of Israel that later I developed in my life were juvenile at the time. But I felt challenged. I felt this is totally different than anything that I had been raised with. I'm not getting into a slew of other issues uh, a slew of other issues that came up over the years. But ultimately I felt myself facing this decision of, do I really belong in the religious Jewish world? Do I really belong in the world of yeshivot where people don't think like me and they don't talk like me and they don't, they don't, they don't believe in the same things that I believe in? Maybe the things that I believe in are not correct. Maybe I have to challenge the things that I was raised on. 
And I spent my five years there asking all those questions until ultimately it led me to a place of, I just can't stay. Someone called the phone and it got this. Do you guys still see me? Because I don't see me. Yeah, we can see you. I don't know about anybody else. Yeah, we see you and hear you. Okay, you guys are slowly coming back one by one. And I find myself... You sure you see me? Because I don't see me. You good? Okay. Baruch Hashem. Wonderful. I find myself making the painful decision to leave a yeshiva that I thought I would stay in, finish university in, and continue on in. And it just wasn't working for me. And uh, I began searching for a place. You know, I was Sephardic. I wasn't really exposed to so much of being Sephardic as a young uh, San Diegan aside from maybe cultural elements of, of that world. And I set out to look for yeshiva, and I heard of uh, Sephardic yeshiva in Jerusalem in the old city. I remember telling my rabbis that I was going to go there, and they thought I was crazy. What do you leave a normal yeshiva to go to some crazy Sephardic place that we never heard of before? And the things we did hear about it, and the people who graduated from there, and Hashem Yishmo, what we heard. And I said, listen, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to go to Israel. It's an Israeli yeshiva. It's Sephardic. It's different. Maybe it's a different world. And I came to this yeshiva. I remember I landed in Israel 11 o'clock at night. I showed up in the old city of Jerusalem with my suitcase. There wasn't even a sign on the yeshiva for me to know where to look for the yeshiva. I did not know at that time that I had met the most dysfunctional Jewish institution I would ever be a part of in my life. I come into the yeshiva. It's it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Hi, I'm the new student. Nobody knows who I am. There's not a room for me. I put a mattress on the floor and I slept my first night there. It says you'll sleep on the earth. I slept on the earth. And then came the next day, and two culture shocks happened to me. I met both Rashi Yeshiva. The first one, Rabbi Shlomo Katsin, shall live and be well. I met him by Shacharit. He looked like a Rosh Yeshiva. But I went later to ask him a question in his office. He had a white shirt on and his sleeves rolled up, no suit jacket, no Hamburg. And I, what kind of Rosh Yeshiva is this? Which Rosh Yeshiva rolls up his sleeves in front of his students in the middle of the day? I had been in a Yeshiva where... When you knock on the rabbi's door, you wait five minutes for him to put on all the proper gear before he opens the door for you. And already in my pre-programmed, is that what he said? My pre-programmed mind, I knew that this po- couldn't possibly be a, a Rosh Yeshiva I could learn from. Such foolishness today. I regret my sins today. But then came the, the killer, and that was the shiur of Mori Harav Yaakov Peretz. Should live and be well. I sat in his shiur, and he was teaching us Torah, and it was fascinating on an intellectual level, but it hurt. Because he was so wrong. How could somebody so smart be so wrong? How did he not understand Shulchan Aruch properly? How did he not know what, what normal Jews do? And it was day one, and day two, and day three, and day four. And about two or three weeks in the yeshiva, I told my friend, hey, I'm just going to get up and leave. This is not the place for me. The yeshiva is crazy. Who does he think he is to argue with Rabbi Avadi Yosef? He doesn't know he's Sephardic. And at that moment, I had to deal with another set of stigmas that I had developed while I was trying not to develop stigmas in Yeshiva. And my friend told me, he said, you know, you know what bothers you so much about him? It's that he's telling you things that challenge everything that you had been told until today. And you can do two things. You could be a coward and run, or you can give it a chance. 
you can give it a chance and listen because maybe he's right. I listened, I sat, and I have never left that Bermilash since. Never. But I needed someone to tell me then. I needed someone to tell me that I had permission to think about my Judaism for myself. To not live constantly in fear of other people or the community or where I was raised or what I'm supposed to be or the ethnicity I belong to, whatever it would be. Someone had to grant me the permission to take my own Judaism seriously enough that just like anything else in the world, I think for myself, I learn for myself, I reach my own conclusions. Why does my Torah, why does my connection with the Kadosh Baruch Hu deserve any less than that? And so tonight's you, in order to expand horizons, in order to be able to appreciate refreshing perspectives from the giants of Jewish history, we first need to grant ourselves the permission to think for ourselves. And if you'll join me on our source sheet, on page one, source one. Shalomu HaMelech writes in Kohelet, Sof davar hakol nishma. If we were to summarize life, et heluim mira ve'et mitzvotav shemor kizeh kol ha'adam. Be in awe of Elohim of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Observe his mitzvot, because this, this is the purpose of a human being. The purpose for which we were put in this world is to have a relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu and to be able to observe his mitzvot. That is the purpose. Zeh kol ha'adam, zeh shlomo ha'melech. The Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, begins his famous work, Misilat Tisharim, with the following words. By the way, the Ramchal was a Mekubal, he was a Kabbalist. Because of that, he starts his book off with the Yud, Hey, and Avav, and Ahay, which spells out a Kadosh Baruch Hu's name. Yesod HaChasidut, source 2. V'shoresh HaAvodah Temima. The foundation of piety, the root of perfect service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hushit Barer V'itamet Etzel HaAdam. That should have become clear and true in a person's mind. Ma chovato be'olamo. What is my purpose in this world? If you want to know what it means to be Jewish, if you want to know what it means to be a perfect chassid, to be a pious tzaddik, the only question you have to answer is a very small one. For what purpose am I in this world? Not just to know it, but that it should be so true for you. It should be clarified and truthful to you. What your purpose in this world is. So that I should know what I should focus on. What should I set my sights on in my life? If I know where I need to end up, then I know everything that I need to do to get to that place. Says the Amchal, how do you execute Sof Devar Konishma? How do you execute this relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do you create this observance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that becomes your life? By realizing what your purpose is in life. By setting your sights on your goal. When you know what your goal is, you're going to find very quickly that everything that you have to go through to reach that goal is worth it. And then no matter who or what stands in your way, you will overcome it. 
because you're not interested in that which is standing in your way. You're not interested in those things that are distracting you or mocking you or holding you back. Your only purpose, your only goal in life is to reach where you need to go because I want to be myself. I want to accomplish for myself that which I was created for. When I sat there in front of our parents and I heard for the first time in my life a Torah, a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, an observance of mitzvot, which I felt I can get behind this. This can become the totality of my existence. I knew that no matter what would stand in my way, I would overcome it. Not that it would be easy. Not that it wouldn't be hard. Not that people don't try and still do hurt myself or my family or my congregants or my students or my friends. But that all of it was worth it. Because what I'm reaching, where I'm going, is where my neshama, where myself, where my being needs to go. And when I sat there by Arab Peretz and I was thinking for the first time in my life that all of these teachings that were so radical were really the same exact teachings I was raised on. The same Torah, the same belief, the same normalcy of Torah that was being taught in my home was now finally being given a voice, was being clothed in texts, in words, in sources that I hadn't known when I was being raised. And I was really excited. Really excited to be on this new Sephardic journey, if I could call it that. And then I had a friend, a dear friend of mine. A dear friend of mine who today is a rabbi in the Israeli army, who is as Ashkenazi as the definition of Ashkenazi could be, as American as American could be, not Israeli, not Sephardic, wasn't planning on becoming a rabbi, look what happened to him, but wasn't planning on it. And he was in a parallel American, regular yeshiva in Israel. And when he had come to hear Hava Peretz, he told me, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over. I'm joining the team. I want to join this yeshiva. And I told him, you're crazy. This is not a place for you. There's nothing here that's for you. And I said, don't come. That Sunday morning, I get a phone call from the mashgiach of the yeshiva. He says, Yonatan, uh, there's some American in the office. I don't understand a word he's saying. Could you please come and translate? I come to the office and lo and behold, there's my friend with uh, Menahel uh, applying for the yeshiva. He came, he learned, he became a student of Abba Today he is the official rabbi of the Netzach Yehuda Battalion in the Israeli army. And then something lit up in my head. Maybe Sephardic is not at all about ethnicity. Maybe the Torah that I'm studying, that I'm being inspired by, has nothing to do with where you come from. Who cares? I myself am Yemenite, not really Sephardic. As much as I would love to include this pan-Sephardic vision, it's really not the same. But if it's working for my friend, and it's working for myself, and it's working for my classmates, who are not all the same, maybe there's something else here that I was always told is only allowed to be accessed by people of a certain ethnicity, in a certain community, in a certain place and time. And then I met my wife. My wife is my life's biggest inspiration. Not just because she's here watching, but because of the truth. 
I promise we're going to learn Torah today. It's not just stories. But the story is very important to understanding the journey. My wife comes from a Hasidic home. Uh, Carlin Stolen in Borough Park, New York. If, if San Diego and Sephardic wasn't enough, this has nothing to do with anything that I was ever, ever experienced in my life. It's not Baltimore, it's not Lithuanians, it's not America. This is a whole different universe. My father-in-law was the Menahel of Yeshivat Carlin Stolen in New York for upwards of 50 years. My father-in-law and almost all my brother-in-laws wear dead animals on their heads proudly every Shabbat. And when someone had suggested that I should date my wife, it's a story for a different time, I said, there's nothing. <laughs> what do you want? San Diego, Borough Park. Sephardic, it's not Ashkenazi, it's Hasidic. First language is Yiddish. There's nothing that we have in common. I did everything I could to get out of this date. And the Baruch Hashem, by the way, my wife did just as much to try to get out of the date. We ended up in the same hotel lobby in some awkward Jerusalem hotel, sitting across from each other, and bonding over Kutzker Rebbe stories. And literally the rest is history. But it wasn't a smooth ride, and I'll share this story one day at a different time. It took us a year and a half from the moment that I met my wife on a shiduch until all the parents involved in the story were willing to let their daughter marry some uh, Sephardic boy from San Diego. That was a journey in its own right. Uh, one that wasn't always the most pleasant or easiest, but today, Baruch Hashem, we're all happy and we all get along just fine. But I had already become a rabbi in San Diego after I met my wife. It was taking so long. I moved back to San Diego. I accepted the job as a rabbi of a Sephardic community. At the time, I was a rabbi and I was renting a place from a Chabad synagogue. So I was on the second floor. Chabad was on the first floor. And my wife, who wasn't my wife yet at the time, she wasn't even my fiance yet because we couldn't get engaged due to family politics, had come to San Diego after a few months of not seeing me because she wanted just to see me. So she came for a Shabbat, you know, undercover. She pretended she was a guest from New York and she had shown up in San Diego and as she walked into the lobby of the Beit Knesset, someone sees her walking up the stairs to the Sephardic congregation. And one of the spiritual leaders of the Ashkenazi community came out and said, excuse me, where are you going? She said, I'm going to pray. I said, but you're Ashkenazi, you belong here. And I remember the sharp retort that only a New York-born Jew could say back, but she said something along the lines of, I'm Jewish, so I'm going upstairs. Something very not politically correct. And ended up upstairs, and only later when we got engaged and when we found out who she was did it all make sense. But there is this attitude in the Jewish community that if you're Moroccan, you can become Lubavitch. And if you're Yemenite, you can become Breslev. And if you're Iraqi, you can become Litvish, Lithuanian. But there's no way on earth that you can be born Lithuanian or Russian or Polish and become Sephardic. Because Sephardic is an ethnicity, not a philosophy. And I'm here today to share with you that this path that people really don't like, it's an approach which some may have never seen before. It's not mine, but it belongs to the Jewish people and to all Jewish people. And I want to share with you a source from Harav Yosef Faur, who recently passed away. There's a video on YouTube that I shared a tribute to Chacham Yosef Aur. I, if I can recommend, not the video, but to learn about his life. Was one of the most unique scholars of this last generation. 
חבל על דאבדין ולא משתכחין. רבי ספר אורי רייטס אינסורס 3, הוא רייטס אינסורס 3, רבי ישראל משה חזן, one of the famous Sephardic rabbis who will quote later today, and he writes בספר זה, in this book, וכן בשאר כתביי in all my other writings. אני משתמש בשם ספרדי. Whenever I use the word ספרדי, I use it במשמעותו המסורתית. In the traditional sense of its use, אצל היהודים מהמזרח ומסביב לאגן הים התיכון. I use the word ספרדיק the same way that the Jews of the East and the Mediterranean have always used this word. הזיקה לספרד אינה גיאוגרפית כאם תרבותית. The connection to Spain is not at all geographical, but it is cultural, it is philosophical. Vina Rav Shai Rappaport, בהקדמה למחברת הארוך ציין, רבי Rappaport writes, כי רבי אברהם בן הרמב״ם, מימונדי סן, רבנו אברהם, מכנה את רבנו חננאל ורבנו ניסים בכינוי ספרדי. He refers to רבנו חננאל and רבנו ניסים as ספרדי, Spanish, אף על פי שהם היו מצפון אפריקה. Even though they were from North Africa, לא מספרד, they weren't from Spain. But Rabbeinu Abraham ben Arambam refers to them as Sephardim. וכן קרא רבי שהיה לרבי סעדיה גאון ממצרים, he refers to Rabsadiya Gaon in Egypt, בכינוי ספרדי, again, he's Egyptian, how did he become Spanish? But he calls him, רבנו סעדיה גאון הספרדי. כדאי לציין כי מרן בבית יוסף, it's important to note that מרן, רבי יוסף קיירון, השולחן ערוך, writes, וכן במקומות אחרים מבחין בין קטלוניה לבין ספרד, there's a difference even in Spain. There are some Jews who are Sephardim and some Jews who are Catalonian. My dear friend, Rabbi Dr. Idan Peretz, they recently published for the first time, perhaps since Jews lived in Catalonia, what's called Sidur Catalonia, which is its own nosach. It's different from Sephardim, not just in philosophy, not just in culture, but even in, in minhagim and halachot. I highly recommend that work. He just published it, and uh, he's a professor, I believe, in Hebrew University. Uh, he... The Sidur, I, mean, I don't know how many of you are going to start praying Minhag Catalonia, but the Sidur has a 70-page introduction that in its own right is a work that is worth studying. And here says Rafa'u, Mikan atashomea, from here you know, Shesfarad eno hainyan hametsumtsam hageografi shel chatsi hai haiberit. That Sfarad, Spain, is not limited to the half of the Iberian Peninsula. And he does mention that there are other places where you find that the word Sephardi is used in its modern sense, which is Jews who observe Sephardic tradition or Sephardic geographically. But Chacham Faur is sharing a concept, and that is that there are many Jews who are not Spanish at all, who before they were Sephardim were something else. And at some point in time, they studied, they felt a connection to the Torah, the teachings, of the Jews of the Sephardic community, and therefore they themselves became Sephardim. This has nothing to do with the kind of food you eat on Shabbat, or whether you're going to eat rice and beans on Pesach or not. But everything to do with, there's a philosophy here. A philosophy that the Jewish community has not yet been properly introduced to. And if we're going to expand horizons, and we're giving each other the permission to think, I want to preempt two questions that come up often. The first, How do I deal with thinking and learning sources that are different from the communities in which I live? 
I'm in a community. There's a mainstream here. How can I explore concepts, ideas that are not mainstream? In a second? But I'm not Sephardic. So how can I learn with a Sephardic rabbi? How can I learn sources that are Sephardic? But they'll tell me I'm Ashkenazi. I'm Hasidic. I'm Yemeni. Whatever they're going to tell me. And to this I reply that Sephardi, the Sephardic philosophy, is not about camels and belly dancing and exotic food for Shabbat. It's not about where you come from, but it's about where you wish to see yourself go. When we started Kilat Shara Shamayim, which is the synagogue branch of Shiviti, it was very important for us that we don't call our Kilat a Sephardic Kilat. We are a Kilat that happens to follow Sephardic tradition because that's what people chose to do. And everyone can make that choice, just like you have already accepted that people from a Sephardic Kilat can make any of the choices I mentioned above and affiliate with other communities or yeshivot in their lifetime. To the second question, what do I do with the communities? What do I do with the peer pressure? Well, if we're all Sephardim now, let's remind you that 1492 was a long time ago. The Spanish Inquisition is over. To hunt Jews down in the street for the way they think, or the way they learn, or the way they observe, should have been something of yesterday, not today. What are you asking? To learn Torah? What are you asking? To pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You have to still live in fear of a Jewish Spanish Inquisition? The Inquisitors with beards and kippot and tzitzit are coming after you and your children? I know how it is. I know what it feels like. But it's over. It's not their place. And it's not their right. And that brings me to the next two sources, source 4 and source 5, which will lay the groundwork for today's shoe. Yehuda ben Tema Omer, Yehuda ben Tema says, Heve'az ken Amer, you should be strong as a leopard, ve'kal ken Esher, and swift as an eagle, light, ve'ratz katzvi, and run quickly like a gazelle, ve'gibor ka'ari, and brave as a lion. To do the will of your Creator in heaven. The same one who just told us to be brazen as a leopard tells us that somebody who is brazen will also go to Gehenom. Thank you. Hold that source on the side. Come with me to the Talmud Bavli, Masechet Brachot, and Source 5. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. If you've been to the old city of Jerusalem, you'll remember the four Sephardic synagogues that are there and on your way to the Kotel. One of them is called uh, the Betkneset of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. It's actually where the chief rabbis of Israel are sworn in, or I don't know if it's sworn in, but they're given their fancy robes and turbans in that Betkneset. Uchshala Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. When Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai had become sick, his students entered to visit him. And when he saw his students, he began crying. His students said, They gave him titles. Why are you crying? 
he answers them why he's crying. It's not relevant to today's shiur. But on page two, Amrudo, his student said to him, Rabenu, this is before their rabbi is dying. And they ask him, Rabenu barachenu, give us a blessing. Amar lahem, he told them, Yehi retzon, it should be the will in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shetehem mora shamayim alechem kemora basar vadam. That you should fear HaKadosh Baruch Hu the same way you fear people. The student said, Adkan, that's, that's the blessing you give us? If only. You should know that when people do Averot, they're always worried, is anybody watching? Is anybody looking? But they never ask the Kadosh Baruch looking. My blessing to you is, it's a very lofty level to reach, that you should be able to have the same fear of a Kadosh Baruch that you have of other people. Obviously, you could have read this source on your own. It's not what I came here to tell you today. But it lays the groundwork for what I believe is the foundation of Jewish observance. And that is in source 6. Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Asher, who's the author of the Turim, the Bala Turim, he's the son of the famous Rosh. Yehuda ben Temaomer. This is the first halakha of the Shulchan Aruch. So the tool wrote his Shulchan Aruch, and then Maran, Rabbi Yosef Karo, writes a commentary on the tool, and then writes his own independent Shulchan Aruch according to the same numbering system as the tool did. So this is in halakha one, the first words of the tool. Yehuda ben Temaomer. Yehuda, the son of Temases. This is the same thing we read in Source 3. Uh, source 4. That you should be brazen like a leopard and swift like an eagle and so on and so forth. Rabbi Yudab ben Tema was sharing with us four things that are crucial to the service of HaKadosh Baruch And he began with the word you should be brazen like a leopard. Because this is a foundational principle of the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes a person desires to do a mitzvah. Look here. The tool does not go to the place of Averot. You should be afraid of Averot from HaKadosh Baruch Hu like you are from people. There are times where a person desires to do a mitzvah. And he doesn't do the mitzvah. Because there are people who mock him. There are people who laugh at you. That's why you don't do the mitzvah. And this is the reason why Yehuda ben Tema says, you should show brazenness. Those people are laughing at you, do it anyways. And don't hold back from doing the mitzvah. This is the same spiritual will that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai told the Talmidah of his students. Sometimes we're more embarrassed of people than we are of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Al-Ken, and therefore, he's here. Rabbi Yudah ben Tema, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai warned, 
שתעיז מצחך כנגד המלאיגים ולא תבוש. Don't be afraid to be brazen towards those who mock your spiritual choices in life. וכן אמר דוד המלך עליו השלום. And this is what דוד המלך עליו השלום asked. ודברה בעדותיך נגד מלכים ולא אבוש. I will speak of your decrees in the presence of kings and I will not be ashamed. אף כי היה נרדף ובורח מן האומות, היה מחזיק בתורתו ולומד אף כי הוא מלאיגים עליו, even though he was pursued and he fled among the nations. If you want to look for somebody who was pursued for being righteous, look at David HaMelech. For how many years I can tell you that I didn't appreciate Sefer Tehillim, the book of Tehillim. Yeah, it's something people say uh, when they're bored. On Rosh Chodesh people try to read Tehillim, on uh, Shavuot. Until you realize Tehillim is not a book of prayers. Tilim is a stream of consciousness of David HaMelech sharing his struggles that he experienced at the hands of the Jewish community, at the hands of the leadership of the Jewish community, at the hands of his own family, the suffering he experienced, at the hands of the feelings of being forsaken by Kadosh Baruch Hu, the feelings of being abandoned by his own parents. Themes, themes that are relevant to every one of us. You think that you're the only persecuted one. Tzarat Rabim Our rabbis say, that sometimes half of comfort is knowing that you're not suffering alone. There are other people. There are friends that are going through a shared experience with you. This is a gift that you can give each other to not be alone. Maran, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, in his commentary in the Bet Yosef, writes, On page 3, on the top of the page. שלפעמים אדם מניח מלעשותם מפני שהוא מתבייש מבני אדם. Like the tool said, there are times where a person is afraid to do a mitzvah. Because of other people. ומה שכתב, and I'm skipping a few lines, that which the tool writes, הזהיר שתעיז מצחה כנגד המלאגים ולא תבוש. That you shouldn't be embarrassed, you should be brazen in front of them. In general, the character trait of being brazen is not a, pr- a positive one. Like we mentioned before, you shouldn't use the character trait of brazenness at all. Even when it comes to the service of HaKadosh To speak brazenly towards those who mock you. Because what happens is when you say, oh, I'm going to be brazen, I'll be a chutzpah, and I'll have attitude in my service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that won't stop in your observance, that will carry on into your personal life and ruin your life. And says Maran, Says Maran, hey, slow down, there's a check in here. Be brazen. Do the things that you need to do on your spiritual path. But the first advice that Maran Rabbi Yosef Karo ever gives us is the advice of be brazen by doing what's right. But don't waste your time engaging in the people who are mocking with you. Don't engage them in conversation. Don't give them attitude. Don't ruin your own midot because of your pursuit in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're going to waste your time fighting with people, arguing with people, giving them a, a platform to speak out against you, just ignore it. And do what you do best. My wife always tells me, 
You should never argue with a fool. Because the fool will drag you down to his level and then beat you with experience. And in life, so often, this is what we feel. We need to do what's right. But we don't just need to do what's right. We have to show them that it's right. And Maran is giving us advice. Two, slow down. Do what you know is right. But in order to expand your horizon safely, you don't want to expand so much that you've ruined your own moral character. Don't let them turn you into a negative person. Don't let them make you a person who on your path of becoming a better person, a better Jew, you've now actually taken steps backward and become a lesser person. You know, today, when I was thinking, what shiur am I going to give for this shiur today? There's so many things I wanted to learn with you. And I, I saw from the comments that people sent in, and if I would have given a class today about Chalav Yisrael or about uh, eating uh, fish and chips in a non-kosher restaurant, people would be really excited. But the truth is that there is so much more to this philosophy than being able to eat a food that doesn't have a kosher certification on it. And if I'm sharing myself with you and I'm being honest with you and I'm being real with you, it's stepping back and showing you the bigger picture. This Judaism has really positive symptoms, really positive consequences, like being able to drink orange juice on Pesach that didn't have a $10 label added to it. You think it's, it's life-changing. For some people it might be. But that's not the purpose. That's not the point. The point here is connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Observance of mitzvot properly. And the first thing that you'll notice in the very strange Jewish world of today is those who try to take their observance seriously, to take their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu seriously in a way that is even slightly different than the way the people tell you you have to do it, is you become their, their target. You become their bullseye where they throw all their darts and shoot all their arrows. And that's why before we even teach anyone halakha, the tool says you have to know, you should be bold, brazen like a leopard. Brazen like a leopard, what's so special about a leopard? There's an old, old commentary in Perkei Avot. If you go to Hebrew books, you'll find that only in handwriting. Rabbi Yosef Chayun has a book called Mile de Avot. In this book he says there's something interesting about a leopard. You mean because it be brazen like, like a lion. Why, why a leopard? He said lions... Lions are tough animals. Until it starts raining, or they get scared, they run away. So leopards have a certain character trait. That they realize what their goal is. They see that animal, they want that animal, that's their food, that's their prey. Nothing in the world gets in their way. They're focused. And their focus means that they always accomplish their goals, and they don't even notice the people around them. Which is an interesting reading as to why Maran is keeping it in check. There's a fascinating commentary, not for today. I believe Rabbi Yosef Masas writes that that's the danger of being a leopard. There are people who are so focused on their goal of Torah and mitzvot, they neglect all the people around them. Their wife, their husband, their children, their parents, their friends. That's also not healthy. There's a limit to how much of a leopard you can be. But says Rabbi Yosef Chayun, that to be a leopard means don't get scared. You know where you're going? You know what you want to accomplish? Do it. Go there. Be there. People are going to speak about you? Let them speak. People are going to say, but it's not mainstream. What is mainstream? People are going to tell you whatever they're going to tell you. Let them tell you. And this isn't just a good advice. This is ruled in Halakha. Maran writes, if you look in the 8, Maran's first words in Shulchan Aruch proper, 
התגבר כארי לעמוד בבוקר לעבודת בורו, שהוא מעורר השחר, that a person should strengthen himself like a lion, to get up in the morning to serve his creator. Rama clearly doesn't like that Maran forgot about the leopard, you just brought the lion out of the zoo today. So Rama writes, שיוויתי אדוני לנגדי תמיד. I envision Hashem in front of my eyes always. הוא כלל גדול בתורה ובמעלות הצדיקים. This is a big, this is the foundation of growing in Torah and becoming a tzaddik. You should know, this is where we got the idea of the name Shiviti in the first place. If I envision HaKadosh Baruch in front of me always, and I know that that's my goal, I will do everything I can to reach that goal. And the Ramah writes in bold words, A person should never allow, this is a halakha, one should not be ashamed because of those who mock him in his service of HaKadosh Baruch And I think that so much of what we deal with when trying to grow, when trying to learn more, is this opposition. Maran and Ramah say, be brazen enough to get by it and never stop to engage with it. Now really, this isn't just important for regular Jewish people, but this is especially important for those who are leaders. Rabbis, Dayanim, judges, you might not think of yourself as some great Jewish leader, but you lead your own families, you raise your own children, you are people in your own communities, you share Divrei Torah at your own Shabbat table. Maran writes, by the way, it's a mistake, it's not Maran, this is a Pasuk. I don't know why, source 10 should be a Pasuk. Lo takiru panim bamishpat. I believe it's a book of Divrei. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall have no fear of man. Because law, halacha, is for God. And those things which are difficult for you, bring them to me and I will help you. Says the Rambam. Two people that come before you for judgment. You're reading literally two people, two people come to court for judgment, two halachot come in front of you, two schools come in front of you to choose for your children, two approaches of Torah come in front of you, two things come in front of you, and you are tasked with making a choice between which one of them will you follow. Echad rach v'echad kasheh. One is easy and one is hard. Ad until you hear both their words, or you hear their words, but you don't know which direction to lean towards. It's not the halakha I want to share with you. But once you have been exposed to both, and you know which of the two is right, which of the two is just, which of the two is the correct approach, you don't have the right to say, I will not involve myself with you. You shall have no fear of man. Maybe I don't want to rule against this person because maybe they'll kill my child. Not they won't accept my child to school. Not Shiduchim might get complicated. They won't. They'll kill my child. The Dayan has to say, I will decide the law anyways. Because that's what God commanded me. Have no fear of man, no fear at all. 
שמי ידליק את גדישי, שמי יקצץ נטיותיי. Maybe he'll set fire to my plants. Maybe he'll cut down my trees. ואם היה ממונה לרבים, חייב להזדקק להם. And if you're in charge of people, you have no choice but to be responsible for them. Says the Rambam, when you're ignorant, ignorance is bliss. But when you are faced with choices, you cannot say, I'm going to take the easy path out. I'll just stay with what's been working or hasn't been working. I'll just stay on this road forever. When you're faced with real choices in your Judaism and your Avodat Hashem in two different mishpatim, you can't say, listen, that's the way my grandparents did it, I'm going to do it too. It doesn't work that way. You have an obligation of what is the price that I'm going to pay? What are the consequences I'm going to pay for learning more Torah? Well, I'm willing to pay that price. Because that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded me. There's a famous Chacham who led by example on Source 12. His name was Rabbi Salam Moshe Chazan. I attached a Wikipedia link to him. It is unbelievable to me how short of a Wikipedia entry there is on him for somebody who was such a giant. Rabbi Salam Moshe Chazan was a rabbi from Turkey. He was a rabbi in many different places in Rome, Eretz Israel. He ultimately spent a number of years in the United Kingdom. He was a rabbi there. A political scheme that brought him to London to help fight the early reform movement, which was not what he thought he was signing up for, but a lot of politics bring people to a lot of different places. Rabbi Israel Moshe Chazan has a book in which he was asked to, to figure out, is it possible for those of us who live outside of Israel to observe only one day of Yom Tov instead of two days of Yom Tov. Now, I happen to like uh, two Pesach setters because everybody sleeps with the first one and the second one, at least they're awake for it. But the truth is that nobody else aside from me likes two Pesach setters. And most of the time, if it's two days of a holiday that goes straight into Shabbat or Shabbat that then follows two days in a holiday, you're, you're three days over here with, uh, with uh, you know, whatever you can't do and whatever you're stuck in and cooking and meals and... When I was in yeshiva, it was worse. I told you one of the reasons I left Baltimore, there's not one of them, but I should have left when I knew this, was on three-day Yamim Tovim, you weren't allowed to shower, and uh, no, it's a minhag the yeshiva, not to shower on Yom Tov. You're not allowed to brush your teeth. I didn't know that. When I grew up, we brushed our teeth on Shabbat, but then they told us you can't brush your teeth. No brushing your teeth, no using soap. Not just uh, hard soap, but liquid soap also was not allowed. And you're, you're in a room, Mechila, for those of you, I'm, I apologize, chutz mikvudchem, but you're in a place... A thousand yeshiva students, it's three-day Yom Tov, and nobody's showered, nobody's brushed their teeth, nobody has used soap in the last three days. According to Halakha, you're probably not allowed to pray in such a room, but... Uh, so can we get rid of the second day of Yom Tov? Says Rabbi Salam Moshe Chazan in the beginning of his work, Listen to me, my children. I will teach you a Torah of truth. You will not find uh, something wrong in my lips. But this is a reference to a teaching of Chazal, that just like a person is not allowed to permit that which is prohibited, a person is also not allowed to prohibit that which is permitted. It's the same thing. To say that a pig is kosher is the same thing as saying that a, a chicken is not kosher. If you, if you treat a chicken and a pig the same way, in both directions, Zanisu. Hey Elohim, I swear by God, if I even found the, the point of a needle, one little entryway into a halakha that would allow us 
to not observe the second day of Yom Tov, I would say it and I would never be afraid of anybody. I will reveal my feelings, my, my beliefs in writing and orally. And I will not be afraid and I will not hesitate before anybody. Even if they destroy my parnasah, they take away my money. And even if they take my life, those who hate me. But I will speak the truth no matter what people will do to me. When you have a rabbi like Rabbi Samusha Chazan to look up to, you could say, this is a person who embodied Lo They promised me at the beginning of a halakhic question that I'm not biased. I will find the truth. And when I find the truth, I will pursue that truth. People always ask, what gift can I give my children? How can I raise my children to be Jews who love HaKadosh Baruch who believe in Torah Mitzvot? We say, we bless every morning in the Torah, Asher natal nanu Torah emet. Hashem gave us a Torah of truth. When He put a life, implanted a, a ter- life of eternity inside of us. Maybe the gift to give our children is to show them, to give them that same example of in our home, truth is what is important. In our home, truth is what guides us. We're not afraid of what others will say. We've always been that way. We've always been a minority on this earth. And so now that we're a minority of that minority, big deal. But to give our children the gift of living a Torah of truth, that they themselves will never want to turn their back on it. And here I share with you three concluding thoughts from my rabbi and my teacher. If I'm talking about gifts and children, Hava Peretz has not just gifted me with Torah and the Torah that I teach. He's not just stood up for me in the times where people call him and reach out to him, you know, not this last year, but the year before Pesach, there was a group of rabbis who maybe revoke a Halevi Smicha. Rapperet didn't just stand up for me then. But it's the treatment of my family like they're his family. When my kids come to Rapperet and his wife gives them toys and he gives them brachot and when my parents go to Israel and I'm not even there and even tell them he's coming and they come into the yeshiva Rapperet gets up and closes his office and puts them there and asks them what they want and sits with them and talks to them. Because so much of the Torah that we learn is a relationship. And I'm not have a parents. But for those who are willing to trust me with their limut Torah, I'm extending an invitation to you. When the world goes back to normal, whatever normal, I'm afraid to say that word, whatever normal will look like, it would be an honor for my wife and I to roll out the red carpet for you, to come visit us, to be with us, to be in our kina. But even before then, everyone who's here, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know. I want to be able to give each other the gift of a new friendship. Some of you I already know more than others, and some of you I'm waiting for that opportunity. To be able to learn Torah in a place where it's not just a dry intellectual pursuit, but it's a connection. It's somebody that I feel that I can ask questions to, I can trust. People that I feel that I can share things with. I record this class. I'm not sure this class will go online. I'm not sure that the things I'm willing to share here are proper for the world to hear. There are sometimes in my own Ben Midrash classes that I leave for Shabbat because I trust the people in my community like I trust my own family. The things that I'll share with them, ideas that I've been working through. You don't have to, you're no strangers in the United Kingdom to what happens when rabbis share things in public that other people don't like. I 
have my own kina and I treat them like my family. And I'm extending that invitation to any one of you who want to be part of this family. You already are in. Let's make it happen. And I want to share with you the teachings from a teacher who inspired me to do what it is that we do. And maybe give chizuk to the proud members of the Shiviti family who are struggling with the terrible stigma that this community creates for people who stray outside of their decision making. Source 13. Hagav Peretz writes in his book, Emet Yaakov, all his books are called The Truth of Yaakov. That's an underlying theme in his teachings, Emet. But this one is a, a book on, on truth. So it's Emet Yaakov on Emet, on truth. writes, It's important that a person should walk brazenly with the character trait of truth. And not to be afraid of the bikoret, bikortam, from the uh, critique of other people. And that's what it says in Prakavot, should be brazen like a lion. What is az? Brazen, takif, be sharp. Don't be afraid. Also with humility. But don't be afraid. They're not afraid. They're not afraid of the nonsense that they are peddling. They're not afraid of the lies that they're sharing. Why are you afraid? You're afraid of them. But with humility. And they were zealous against Moshe in the camp and Aaron, the Holy One of Hashem. Listen to this fascinating dash. It means Even against Moshe and Aaron, who were the chosen ones of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they fought. Nevi'im, they were prophets. Everything Moshe did was right. He received it directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's not a matter of tradition or of yeshivot or schools of thought. And he's the father of all the prophets. That's the Rambam's 30 principle. You have to believe not just in prophecy, but the Moshe Rabbeinu is the father of all the prophets. They still said evil lies about them. And from here you learn. Never be scared. Don't ever be bewildered by people who speak bad about you on your path, on your actions. If you're doing what's right and what's just, do it. And don't pay attention. Don't heed those who speak ill of you. There's someone who explained this in a sharper fashion. It's not literal, but it's a drash. They were zealous against Moshe. They spoke bad about him. Why? They spoke bad against Moshe in the camp. Meaning, in the camp, they were wondering, why is Moshe so distant from us? Why does he always think he's too good for the Jewish people? How come he's always so holy? When they spoke about Aaron, what did they say? Aaron, why is he always talking to us? Why is he always trying to make peace between us? Why is he always mingling with us? Well, he can't be a Kedosh Hashem. He can't be a holy one. So on Moshe, they complained why he's distant from them. Aaron, he complained, why he's too close to them. Says Peretz, Klomar, you learn from here, No matter what you'll do in life, people will speak bad about you. Whether you do this, or you do that, they'll always speak bad about you. 
No matter what the state of Israel will do, it's going to be wrong. When the Jews are capitalists, we're capitalists. When we're socialists, no matter what it is, the Jews are going to be blamed because that's the way of an irrational hatred of other people. There are people who just oppose you because that's what they do. For, you, know, the, you know those people, you're in the Beit Knesset and someone comes up to read the Torah and there's those people, they're the, they're the unpaid professional correctors. They sit there with a, with a chumash and their whole job is to make sure they catch every word that's wrong by the Baal Kore. Now really, these people, most of the time when they correct, they're not even correcting correctly because that one prepared the Torah reading and this fool couldn't even read Hebrew with vowels properly. But they correct, and it's a wrong correction. They go back, everyone gets confused. Once I was so fed up with such a situation, I told the Koran, hey, step down. I told the guy, why don't you come up? Come, read the Torah, please. It's your chance. And uh, but, uh, I said, right. You don't know how to read without, with vowels, you don't know how to read. Without vowels, you're going it's to, it's a certain personality. The bar mitzvah kid comes over the first time in his life. This kid is reading the Torah in front of a community. This guy has to correct him. Why? to ensure that children will never come back to the Beit HaKnesset. That's his job in life. That's his purpose in life. We're not, we're not lacking reasons for why children don't come to Beit HaKnesset. I, I, I was in the Beit HaKnesset. I went to do a wedding. I can't tell you where. I went to do a wedding. I flew uh, somewhere. I went to do a wedding. And I, I came for Shabbat because I had to be there. And the rabbi stood up and he says, I must speak with you seriously about the crisis of the children in the synagogue. And, and that's it's an interesting question. Christ of the and he mentioned it's a crisis. The children come in here and they make noise. And there's a candy man. He gives out lollipops. There's a drasha. There's a Torah reading. What do these kids think? They could just come in and out of the synagogue whenever they want. And he made a rule: no more kids in the synagogue. I know this guy. Twenty years from now, he's going to go around America fundraising for some cure program to bring the kids back to the synagogue. If you wouldn't have thrown them out in the first place, they wouldn't have left. I know it's a novel idea. When it comes to people, there are always people who are just negative. Ignoring them, says our parents. Moshe and Aaron had to deal with them. And we remember Moshe and Aaron. And those who were against them, they're part of the past. In Source 14, our parents writes in a different book. Our parents has a, a, a guidebook for rabbis, a manual for, for rabbis of communities and people in spiritual leadership positions. Our parents mentions that people who normally grow in Judaism have a problem. The problem is Source 14. People who try to improve themselves usually have a problem in which they have some kind of inferiority complex. They feel that I'm, I'm trying to improve, so that means that there's something wrong with me. That person is confident not because they're complete, but because they're so foolish, they don't know there's anything to fix about themselves. You are in a path of growth, and you are judging yourself. It's not humility to be critical against yourself. It's an animalistic inclination. It comes from a lack of proper understanding of yourself. It's fairly stupidity. This evil thing that you have where you constantly critique yourself and you feel inferior to others. This is what will hold you back from ever accomplishing the things in your life that you wish to accomplish. The second part, I'm free, I don't care what people say about me, says Also don't become subservient to others with the noose, with the leash, with the collar of honor, of pride. Meaning the type of people who, when they respect you, you feel so good, and when they don't respect you, you feel so bad. 
אלא היה מרוצה ושמח תמיד בעצמך. Just be happy and satisfied with yourself, with who you are. כפי שיצר אותך היוצר ובורא את הכל. There's a perfect creator of the world who created you perfectly. Be happy with yourself. Be proud of yourself. Be confident in yourself, in the accomplishments that you have, in the journey that you're taking, in the path that you're walking on. It's you. It's you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu created you without making anyone else be able to judge you or have any influence on you. And last but not least, and today I'll end with this. Source 15. At the end of the day, what do we do with the mainstream? It seems like an overwhelming majority. By the way, if you want to talk about majority, the majority of Jews in the world do not observe Shabbat. Does that mean that you shouldn't observe Shabbat? The majority of the Jews in the world do not eat kasher. Does that mean you should not eat kasher? The majority of people in the world are not Jewish. Should you also now abandon your Judaism? This feeling somehow that there is truth in numbers, it's not a Jewish one. I've heard all the speeches. You have to go after the masses. And there's a yachid verabim, halachat kerabim. There's mainstream opinions and individual opinions and it can be that they're all right. I've heard, I've heard, and we'll have answers for those as the future goes along. The majority and minority rule only applies in a Sanhedrin. It doesn't apply in 2020 in your local Jewish community. It, it doesn't work that way. If you look in any of the Torah narratives, you talk about 12 spies that go to the land of Israel. Ten, they're all tzaddikim. They're all great rabbis. Ten of them are incorrect and two of them are correct. And we celebrate that. Korach v'adadot. Who was Korach? Korach was an evil man. Korach was the, the biggest Rosh Hashiva in town. Doesn't make him right. Truth doesn't work that way. Don't ever be dragged along with the bad or improper attitudes or positions of society. Abu Chazal. רבי יהושע מספר, רבי יהושע says, פעם אחת, once הייתי מהלך בדרך, I was walking along the road. רבי יהושע is one of the great חכמים in the Talmud. I was once walking along the road. והייתה דרך עוברת בשדה. There was a trail that was going through someone's field. והייתי מהלך בה, and I walked on that trail. אמרה לי תינוקת אחת, one baby told me, a little girl, meaning somebody probably under the age of bad mitzvah. She sees the chief rabbi, she sees him walking through someone's field on a trail, not walking on their plants, he's not walking on their flowers, he's just walking on the trail. אמרה לי תינוקת אחת, one little girl told me, רבי, רבי, לא שדה היזר? Is this not a field? Meaning, why are you walking in someone's field? אמרתי לה, I told her, לא דרך כבושה היא? It's not trespassing. Everybody walks here. Everybody's going on this field. Amra li, she said, yeah, everybody. Listim shekamocha kevashuha. Bandits like you, thieves like you are all the people who are walking in this field. It's a little girl looking at the chief rabbi and saying, hey rabbi, you're wrong. Much of this shares this idea in Judaism that rabbis are not above the law. Leaders are not above, the, their, their little girl can tell the rabbi exactly what he needs to be doing. If she's right, she's right. She's the people that are all walking and made this trail, you're right, you're not stepping on anybody's plants because where the thousands of people have walked already, it's a trail. But just because it's a trail doesn't mean it's one you're allowed to walk on. Klomar, this means, She'en chiluk ben yachid ba'avon gazel. When many people steal or a few people steal, it doesn't make stealing any better. שכאשר הרבים גוזלים או עוברים עבירה, הם גזלנים ורשעים. 
If many people do something wrong, that just makes many people criminals. It doesn't make it okay. From here you must learn an important lesson. Never, never allow yourself to be dragged or forced onto paths in Judaism that are wrong and that don't work for you, but just because everybody else is doing it. Ella, rather, somebody who's truly God-fearing, and walks on an upward and straight path. Always choose that which is good. That which is right. That which is proper. That which is correct to do. And act in accordance with that choice. In the Torah, in your observance of halakha, in what you might call hashkafa, in your philosophy and Torah. All the while being azpanim, being brazen, being bold like a leopard, but also while never compromising on your own dignity and your own personal integrity. And if I might summarize today's shiur. We're about to set on a journey. And before I could take you on this journey, I want to share with you about myself. And that this journey is one that I've been on myself. Expanding horizons is something that I had to give myself permission to do. And I wanted today, before we get into what we're doing next week and the following weeks, Bezad Hashem, to give us the permission to deal with the questions, with the controversy that may come our way. We're going to discover some new opinions, some approaches we may not have heard before, and people will inevitably ask us, well, how do you do it? Who says? Maybe what makes this authoritative? It's one opinion. All the things they might tell us. And you have to be able to answer and say, I need to be brazen like a leopard. I don't have to answer you. I don't have to answer up to you. At the end of the day, there's only one rule. God you should fear. And on his path, on his mitzvot, you should observe. This is the whole purpose. And says the Ramchal, When you realize that the foundation of observance in Judaism is to know what your goal is, to know where you're headed, you'll never worry about all the people making noise around you. And instead, gain support from all those friends and all those people, all these people that are with us, that are now Hashem in different places in the UK. Let's become friends. Let's give each other that feeling of a community. That feeling of, you're not alone. We're going to do this together. We're going to learn together. We're not all going to agree with each other. We're not all going to walk away with the same lessons and the same messages. But we're all going to do this together. We're going to become our own community. We're going to become our own group of friends, of chaverim, who are going to allow each other the permission, the freedom to think, to believe, and to expand our horizons and the way we've ever looked at anything else. Bezat Hashem, I pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should guide us on a path of truth, a path of justice, and a path that is good for us, for the Jewish community, for the whole world, and for HaKadosh Baruch Hu.